We pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for feeding us with your word today. We ask you to continue to feed us and and send us your Holy Spirit uh, as we dig into your word during our sermon time. We ask you to bless us in our faith, uh, in our understanding of things that you want us to know, and uh, bless us in our motivation to live for you in these last days of our world. Bless our sermon time today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Her whole life, she had been afraid of Judgment Day. Her whole life, she'd been afraid of Judgment Day. She had heard preachers say scary things. She had seen billboards that proclaimed scary messages. Uh, When she was in her youth group, she actually went to a play. It was like a pageant. It wasn't a Christmas pageant. It was a Judgment Day pageant. And she watched this play of what was going to happen on Judgment Day. And quite frankly, it left her terrified. So she had this picture in her mind of what was going to happen on Judgment Day. She pictured herself standing in this long, long line that stretched as far as the eye could see of people standing one at a time waiting for their turn. And she pictured finally getting up before the judge and that now the events of her life would be played out across the sky for everyone in the world to see. All the good things and all of the bad things. And would her life be judged good enough that she would be allowed to go spend eternity with God in heaven? Or would her life be judged bad enough that she was going to be condemned to the fires of hell? But her whole life, she had been afraid of judgment day. And it was something that she just tried not to really think about. She tried to just put it in the back of her mind and not think about it at all. As I describe this to you, as I describe this situation, this woman, I wonder how many people would fit the description that I have just shared. Um, I have learned that there's a lot of fear about Judgment Day out there, even among Christians. Even among Christians. So it's worth pointing out, I think, that you know, the woman that I'm describing, some of the things she had learned about Judgment Day were not biblically accurate. Like, the Bible does not describe a long, long, single-file line where you have to wait your individual turn, nor does it describe all the events of your personal life being displayed in the sky for every last person to see. Because, like, that would take forever. How many, how many people have lived in the history of the world? It's in the, the hundreds of billions, or try to estimate it, but, like, nobody's got time for that. So the Bible does not teach that it's going to be this one-on-one line of waiting and and your personal life is played, you know, one at a time. But the things that the Bible does actually teach about Judgment Day, when you look into them, you find that they are indeed kind of intimidating. And some of them do indeed feel a little bit scary. So as we mentioned, both of our readings today are about Judgment Day and like the judgment part of Judgment Day. What's going to happen in the judgment? The first reading comes from the book of Daniel. It is a vision that God gave to his prophet Daniel, a vision of the end of the world. And Daniel describes what he saw. Then thrones were set in place, he says, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. The throne's got wheels, apparently. Uh, A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. 
So there's a lot going on here. Obviously, there is some symbolism involved. And it's not hard to figure out, you know, based on how the whole Bible uses different symbols, it's not hard to figure out what some of these things are talking about. For example, as God comes out onto his throne, the white hair symbolizes his age, right? And the wisdom that comes with it. And we know that God is very old. He's, he's the ancient of days. He's eternal. He's been around forever. And he's got perfect wisdom. He's been around since the very start. And then you picture the white clothing. That's a picture kind of throughout the Bible, right? The, the pure white clothing without a spot or a blemish, that is a symbol of holiness and purity. Uh, God has no flaws, nothing bad about him, no sins, of course. So the white hair, the white clothing, and then you've got this wheeled throne, which is kind of fascinating, but the detail that jumps out to me is just all of the fire. His throne is blazing with fire. The wheels are blazing with fire. A river of fire is flowing out like molten hot lava from his throne. Clearly the fire symbolizes God's power. Right? Just his absolute authority. His ability to destroy any one of his enemies if anybody's foolish enough to make themselves God's enemy. And then I think God's tremendous power is reinforced by the hundreds of millions of angels that are all standing around him like an army, a vast army of angels. So I tried to find a picture of this, and all the pictures that Google would offer me were like kind of hokey, and they didn't really do justice to these words, but you just picture the Ancient of Days sitting on his seat, and he's shining with bright light, and there's fire, and there's angels. And now Daniel says, the court was seated... You picture the sound of hundreds of millions of angels all sitting down, and the books were opened. It's judgment time. So, I don't know about you, but to me, this is a pretty intimidating scene. Uh, I couldn't find a picture again that really did it justice, but like this sounds like something out of a movie. But in our second reading, in John 5, Jesus teaches his disciples that this is not an imaginary scene. The day is going to come when this will be absolutely real. Jesus says in John 5, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. But Jesus says, it's going to happen. You know, one day you will find yourself standing before the ancient, perfect, powerful, all-knowing God, the one who made the universe and the one who made you. One day you're going to stand before him. And he knows everything about you. I mean, he knows everything about you. He knows you and me better than, than we even know ourselves. And he is going to determine where you're going to spend your eternity. Will it be close to him in heaven? Will it be far away from him in hell? God's in control. God gets to decide. And helpfully, Jesus shares what God's criteria are. Those who have done what is evil are going to be the ones who rise to live. I'm sorry, those who have done what is good are going to be the ones who rise to live. And those who have done what is evil are going to be the ones who rise to be condemned. Very clear. Very straightforward. But if that's not intimidating and a little bit scary, I don't know what is, because who of us could honestly look at our life and, like, the way that we've lived, but also our conversations and even our thoughts, who of us could look at our life and say, that was a life where I've always done what is good. 
And likewise, who of us could ever look at our life, the, the actions, the words, the thoughts, and honestly claim that we have not done what is evil at one time or another time or maybe many, many times? And so this is really, like according to the Bible, this is really what makes Judgment Day scary. It's not the angels, it's not the fire, it's not how big God's throne is or the fact that it has wheels. What makes Judgment Day scary is the realization that our life doesn't meet God's standards. The standards are not unclear. Right? Throughout the Bible we hear, God tells us, be holy as I the Lord your God am holy. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So by those criteria, no matter how lenient and understanding we might be for ourselves, it's very clear that we have failed God's test. That's why it says in the book of Romans, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So what hope can we possibly have on Judgment Day? This is not sounding like a good situation. Um, but in both Daniel and the book of John, the hope comes with the arrival of a person. A new person arriving onto the scene. And here's how Daniel introduces that person. There before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Remember, thrones were brought out. There were multiple thrones. One is the Ancient of Days, but the other is the Son of Man who's brought in and seated. Now in John's Gospel, Jesus explains more about this, more about what's going on here. Jesus explains, As the Father has life in himself, so he has also granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him the authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Is that all making sense? It's a, lot, it's a lot of content, but the point here is God can feel so distant from our world. He, as we said, he's ancient, he's eternal, he's all-knowing, he's perfect. God is way up there in his vast power and glory. And, and here are we, right, imperfect mortal human beings just kind of like trying to figure it out, facing these temptations and sins in our life and failing at things again and again. God feels so far away. How can he really accurately judge us? How, how can he really know what it's like down here? But this is why God sent Jesus into this world, to live a human life, to face human challenges, to be tempted in every way just as we are, and yet to remain without sin. So it's like God the Father, the Ancient of Days, he's ready to judge the world, but he delegates that role to the one who's lived in the world. He delegates that role to the Son of Man. And who could be more qualified to judge human morality than the person who lived a perfect moral life himself? Jesus, the perfect Son of Man, gets to be the judge. And at this point, maybe you are wondering how, how we have even added any hope to the picture, right? Because initially this is looking even more intimidating. Our lives are going to be judged by a person who lived a perfect life. That's like your jump shot is going to be judged by LeBron James. Your writing assignment is going to be judged by William Shakespeare. 
your singing voice is going to be evaluated by Aretha Franklin? How can you possibly match up when a perfect person is judging you? Right? So the addition of Jesus coming in with his perfect life and now he's going to judge us, I don't think it makes this any, uh, any less intimidating. Until we remember why Jesus came and lived a perfect life. All right. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? It's John 3.16, right? How does it go? Love the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. All right. People know John 3.16. People don't know John 3.17. This is the next verse. When God sent his son into the world, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So you think about this. Jesus came into the world. He lived this perfect life, and now he's going to be the judge, and he's perfect, and we're not. But God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world. No. He sent him into the world to be perfect so that he could save the world through him. Every perfect thing Jesus did, his whole perfect life, he did for you. Every perfect thing Jesus did, his whole perfect life, he did for you. Now, it's hard to say a lot of words uh, while you're being crucified. It's hard to speak while you're being crucified. You're, you're suffocating on the cross. But Jesus spoke a few precious words during his last minutes in this life, and this was one of his closing phrases. Jesus said, It is finished. You remember that? I think that was the second to last thing Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. So, what was finished? Well, his perfect life was finished. His payment with his blood for our sins was finished. But there's one more thing that was finished. Our trial before God was finished. Our judgment was finished. Because what was happening to Jesus on the cross, God had judged him and declared him to be guilty for all the sins of the world. And in exchange, through faith in Jesus, God has already declared you to be innocent based on his perfect life for you. In Jesus, God says you are innocent already. So you think about that. We've talked about this whole judgment scenario, and God is going to judge. No, he's going to have Jesus judge. Now you have this perfect judge sort of looming over you. Those who have done what is good are going to live. Those who have done what is evil are going to be condemned. What is going to happen to you? As Jesus starts talking about this with his disciples, the very first thing that he says is he reminds them of the verdict that they already have through faith in him. This is the first verse. Maybe we skipped right over it and got to the scary stuff, but this is the first verse. Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. So this is talking about you and what a game changer this is for the way that you and I think about Judgment Day. What does this verse say about you? If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, you already have eternal life in your back pocket. You are not even going to be judged because he was already judged guilty for you and you've been judged innocent in his place. 
You have already crossed over from death to life. And so as you're going into Judgment Day, there's no question about what's going to happen. There's no secret, where are you going to go? You are going to spend eternity with God in heaven because of your perfect substitute, your Savior, Jesus. Her whole life, she had been afraid of Judgment Day. But she wasn't afraid anymore. Not because she had finally conquered all of her sins and temptations. Not because she had finally cleaned up all of her messes. Not because she had finally figured out how to be a holy and perfect person. But because she had finally realized who the judge on Judgment Day was going to be. It's going to be Jesus. The one who was already delivered over to death for her sins. The one who was already raised to life for her justification. The one who had already clothed her with perfection in the waters of her baptism. The one who had walked with her and listened to her during her life when everybody else had left her sometimes. Her Savior had always been there. The one who had always listened to her prayers. The one who says, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus was going to be her judge. And when she pictured the hand holding the gavel that's going to declare, innocent or guilty, heaven or hell, she felt immensely comforted because that hand still had the nail scars on it where he died on the cross for her sins. And it's the same thing for you. Brothers and sisters, as we wrap up this series, uh, the time in between, and as we move from preparing our hearts for the end of the world to preparing our hearts for Christmas, if there's one thing that you take away from our final sermon today, let it be this. You don't need to be afraid on Judgment Day. Because when Jesus looks at you on that day, what he will see is his own perfection. That perfection that he lived for you and that he paid for you and that he put on you. And when Jesus, your judge, looks to you at Judgment Day, not only will he recognize you and you recognize him, but he will say, as Jesus told his disciples, come, you who are blessed by my Father, come inherit the kingdom that he has prepared for you from the creation of the world. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. For you, the end of this world, is only going to be the beginning of an eternity so perfect and so wonderful that pictures or words cannot possibly do it justice. And so God bless you as you live for him until that day arrives. God grant that to each one of us for Jesus' sake. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus your Savior. Amen.